0: Welcome to the Overboard Podcast, the inside scoop into the world of travel, tourism and entertainment. And joining me this week, going down to Liverpool to do nothing, it's Benjamin Clift.
1: Are you going to... Oh, is that it? Am I going to have that now every single week, this play-on?
0: Well, until the next series, yeah.
1: Oh, right. what, Until you replace <laughs> replace me with someone else. I,
0: I either replace you or replace the play-on.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, it's probably easier to replace me if I'm honest with you.
0: Anyway, That's doesn't wonderful. matter, does it? How are you? I'm all right. I'm, I'm okay. A few, few things to worry about this week. I told you about them just now. Worrying about the kids. You worry about the kids, don't you?
1: You always worry about the kids. You never stop worrying about the kids. If you've got kids, you never stop worrying about them.
0: On this week's episode, I'm, I'm delighted to say that yesterday uh, yesterday had a very lovely chat with um, a, a young, successful lady who's becoming even more successful as we speak. I think you know her. Bethany Clift, the author... Bethany-
1: Yes, Bethany Cliff, the author. I do, of course, know her because she is she is my sister, and I believe you had a very nice chat with her
0: with her new book, the last one at the party, and about to be turned into a film by Ridley Scott.
1: I know it's hugely exciting. I can't. I, I haven't heard the interview yet, but I can't wait to hear it, Dave. I'm looking forward to Oof,
0: it. It's very exciting stuff. She's such a lovely person, which really surprised me, considering <laughs> she's your sister. Yeah.
1: I was waiting for that line to come out. Yeah, she is.
0: Let's start with Cornflake. What's happening with Cornflake?
1: Yes, it's time for our little furry friend. Or, well, not our furry friend, of course. Our Cornflake adventure. Now, last week, David, we didn't give the answer away, so we need to give the answer away. The Cornflake was in the mouth of a celebrity. Who was it? Elton John. It was Elton John, yes. Reg Dwight. Right, shall we listen to Cornflake this week and find out what's happening? <laughs> yes. Here we go. <laughs> So once again, dear friend, welcome along to the further adventures of a cornflake. Now, we did say, of course, for this series that we were changing things up and that uh, you would need to decipher where our cornflake was hiding because they would be hiding, in fact, in the mouth of a celebrity. But this week, we're changing it once again. Our cornflake has, in fact, smuggled itself into the mouth of a tourist and this tourist is standing in front of a famous landmark. All you need to do is decipher from the clues what landmark that tourist is standing in front of. So, if we're ready, here we go with the first of this evening's clues, and it's simply this. This famous landmark was completed in 1644, but actually took 2,000 years to build. So, there we go then, the first of this evening's clues. Where is that tourist? And what is Cornflake looking at?
2: The Overboard Podcast, something I look forward to every week hosted by David and Ben, amazing people, guys I have a tremendous respect for, doing a great job, fantastic guys.
0: You are listening to the Overboard Podcast with David and
1: Ben. So what do you think then, Dave?
0: Do you know? Uh, No, not from the... I've got an idea, but I don't know for sure. Benjamin. Let's move on to Did You See? Now, did you see the results from last week's poll?
1: I didn't, so tell me.
0: All right. On a cruise or in a hotel, do you go to speciality restaurants? This was run in association with our sister Facebook page, What To Do On Your cruise the answers were I will when I can cruise again one percent said that five percent said I buy a package 22 uh, percent said no I stick to what's included 32 percent sometimes and 40 percent said at least once and we agreed that we do like the speciality restaurants don't we we love we the go specialty, as a, yeah. as a strange, Morecambe and Wise-style couple on holiday together, holding hands.
1: Well, you say that, but do you remember on training courses when we used to get into bed with each other at lunchtime and read the newspaper? <laughs> I do,
0: I do. Can, can we just clarify that we get into bed together, we were fully clothed. Because it was a little bit cold. It was January and we were in the, the, the arse end of Britain, Blackpool. We used to get in under the covers to keep our legs warm and read the um, birthdays at the (laughs) the newspaper, didn't we? We did. All right, then. Did you see, Benjamin, that uh, a report on the BBC this week said hangovers get worse the older you get? Researchers say that the body changes that we go through as we age make the body less tolerant of alcohol, so the drinking you can handle in your 20s will give you a hangover in your 40s. Well, Benjamin, as you are a person that did experience 20s and 40s, and thirties I think. Do you find this is true?
1: When we were younger, when we were in our twenties, like we would go out obviously and we could go out drinking, Dave. We would finish work at you know, at 11 or half past 11 I remember and then we'd go out into Protaras or whatever and we'd be drinking till 5 or 6 in the morning and then we'd see each other back in the hotel at 8.30.
0: There was a time when I was working overseas and I, I, I remember some six-month period where I can't remember being sober for one night. But you used to just keep going. I think there is a turning point, I think, in your 40s where you suddenly, like the stomach maybe can't handle the drink so much.
1: Well, I think it's, I think it's the thought process because I had this conversation with my friends. We're, we're planning on having a golfing break and we were looking at times that we would tee off, dinner times and all that. And I would much rather get to the pub now at around about four o'clock in the afternoon, drink till about eight, and then be in bed at 9. Whereas when you're younger, of course, you don't want to go out until 9 o'clock at night and you want to be out until 4 in the morning. Your priorities change. Sometimes I'll go to the pub with my friend, we'll watch the football, you know, if it's on midweek game, and I'll have four pints. I used to be able to have four pints, no problems at all. No worries. Four pints, that was nothing. Now I have four pints.
0: And I'm like... You're all over the
1: place. I I am. What's your go-to cure then in the morning, Dave, if you wake up with a slightly fuzzy head? What do you need?
0: The obvious water... I know it's stereotypical, but for me, it is the fried breakfast. I think there's something in in the fat, isn't it? That, that it,
1: it must be, but yeah, absolutely, yeah. If I can the get the
0: enzymes that. or something.
1: Never get that? What are you having on your ultimate fried breakfast, Dave? What are you, what are you having? Oh, on you Come love on. your
0: ultimate oh, food plate. I do, don't well, why you? not?
1: Why not? Let's do it. Come
0: on, tell me what you're having. So you'd have How? bacon. You'd have egg. I How, are you, having have mushroom. Egg, How are you having your egg? How you having your egg? It's important. Generally, I like my egg scrambled these days, but I do like a poached egg as well.
1: Ooh. Ooh, very nice. Yeah. Yeah. Plenty of black pepper. oh beautiful.
0: I like black pudding though, do you like black pudding? No,
1: I don't, I'm not a big fan of black pudding.
0: A thin sausage.
1: (laughs) Oh, I bet you did. (laughs) Hello sailor.
0: (laughs) Um, I'm not too big a fan of baked beans on a breakfast. I think it makes Mm. it far too heavy. Mushrooms. I like mushrooms. And I I don't really like the fried bread element, but I do like plenty of toast.
1: Mm. You see, I'm the other way. I love the fried toast. I love the fried bread. I'd throw in a couple of hash browns there.
0: It makes it a little bit too heavy for me. Benjamin, did you see that thrill seekers at a theme park in the UK, Blackpool Pleasure Beach no less, but a little more than they bargained for this week when their roller coaster got stuck near the top. They had to be escorted off the big one, step by careful step down a steel staircase in the open air from near the ride's 213 foot summit. Did you see this? Yes, I did.
1: And I hated it every second li- of watching the video. Do you like heights? No, I hate heights. I absolutely yeah, I have to I, I, I feel I, I, like I need to throw myself off a height.
0: Oh, that's an idea. Um. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Have you been on that,
0: that ride in Blackpool?
1: No, you wouldn't get me on there. There's no chance. I've been on it. It's, Have,
0: yeah. it's horrendous. Oh, right. yeah. It's the one where it goes right virtually over the road, doesn't it? Our good
1: friend, the, 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 the ramblings of a middle-aged delicate flower, he's been on it, and uh, I've seen some photos from that. It's quite funny.
0: Yeah, it's a delicate but robust middle
1: Yes, I can flower. never get it right. I know what you, I know what it is, but I can never ever say it correctly.
0: The big one this this ride was the tallest and fastest coaster in the world when it opened in 1994 according to Coaster Grotto it's since been surpassed and the current tallest Kinga Ka at Six Flags Great Adventure Park in New Jersey is more than twice the height at 456 feet.
1: I once got stuck at the top of a giant rocking horse in Australia. Every so often and in various places, they've got these giant things like a giant pineapple or a giant uh, melon, but they've got this giant rocking horse and I managed to climb to the top when I was over there with my auntie and then I got into the rocking horse's mouth and then froze. I couldn't get back down again. My auntie had to come up and carry me down.
0: I'm not a big roller coaster fan. I have been on them, and I I will go on them occasionally. The point for me is when you get that that thing as it goes to the top. When it gets to the top, you take a deep breath and you think, "Oh, come on, this is going to be over in about 20 seconds." But imagine you do that,
1: and then it just
0: stops up there, and you're sort of stuck sort of at the top and you're sort of facing upwards and you're dangling backwards and then you look down. Oh my oh, god. No. I don't I don't think I'd be even be able to get out the carriage. No.
1: I was I, about to say the uh, same thing. I would say, no, you're going to have to leave me here until it starts working again. I don't care if I'm <laughs> here overnight. Just bring me some blankets and some bit, bit of food and I'll just stay here.
0: Did you see that normality or near normal events are happening again? The first near normal concert since Covid began took place in Liverpool <sighs> on yeah. Sunday with 5,000 giddy music lovers crowding into a festival tent with no masks and no social distancing. All had agreed to act as guinea pigs for scientists studying the safety of mass events as part of the government's event research programme.
1: Two events took place at the weekend over in Liverpool. Did did you go? No, it's not my scene, mate. I'm not a raver Mm -hmm. or anything like that, so...
0: A negative Covid test was a condition of entry, with concertgoers asked to take a further PCR test on Friday so that festivals go ahead this summer. There was a lot of hugging, much shrieking and selfie-taking to document this evening of post-pandemic history. Ticket holders had to be over 18 and registered with a doctor in the Liverpool City region to attend. The concert was the biggest scene in the UK since Covid hit last March and part of a series of pilots including club nights, football matches and snooker tournaments. The World Snooker Championship uh, concluded as well at the weekend and they had a full crowd in, didn't they?
1: Yeah, 1,000 people for the final. Did you hear the cheer? I heard the cheer, I saw it on the news. It's great, isn't it? There was a lot of emotion. Uh, there was a lot of people crying uh, on uh, Saturday and Sunday night there when they were at these uh, these festivals.
0: Benjamin, did you see a woman in Mali has given birth to nine babies, two more than doctors had detected inside her womb, according to the country's health ministry. Joining a small pantheon of mothers of nine babies. Do you know what? The, do you know what the nine babies is called? Octuplets is eight. Do you know what nine is? Nonuplets. Nonuplets is correct. Nonuplets. I've never heard of this nine babies. No, not I. No. The pregnancy, of, uh, the pregnancy of Sisi has fascinated the West African nation and attracted the attention of its leaders, where she gave birth to five girls and four boys. Right. Nine babies. Can you remember when you were expecting your first uh, daughter? Well, your only daughter, Lily. Could you imagine if three popped out? I can't imagine that at all. This <laughs> woman was expecting seven and nine... Came. nine suddenly you suddenly got nine children. Yeah, but
1: I, I don't oh. think that's so bad. I think if you're expecting seven, you're like, oh, this is going to be a real pain in my bum. And if two extras pop out, you're like, well, we had seven anyway. What's nine? What's the difference? But I yeah, think if you're expecting yeah, one and four came out, you would be like... Oh my God!
0: We have a new poll which has appeared on the Facebook page "What to Do on Your Cruise," and this week it's "How confident do you feel booking a cruise right now?" The choices are: A, not confident, just hoping for the best; B, I won't be booking a cruise till this pandemic is properly over; C, fully confident in the cruise companies to deliver safe cruises; D, I think even if the cruise is changed or postponed, it's nice to have something in writing to look forward to; or E, I think I will wait and see how twenty twenty one goes. If you you were wanting to book a cruise, how confident would you feel right now?
1: Um Definitely see, Fully confident in the cruise companies to deliver safe cruises. I think it'll be one of the safest places to be.
0: A lot of optimism around at the moment. It's, it's a good news podcast this week, isn't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
3: It's over, over all the and
1: David The adventures of hey. Old Flame. Clue number two then in the further adventures of a cornflake. Remember, of course, we're looking for a landmark this evening. Clue number two is that this landmark was actually made out of stones, bricks, tiles, earth and wood. Hmm, interesting. What landmark is cornflake staring at? Two clues down. Two more to come a little bit later in the show. You're listening to the Overboard Podcast with David and Ben.
0: What's been troubling you this week?
1: It's always bothered me and that's people who use phrases that wind me up. When you have a buffet or somebody and somebody says, oh, let's get some picky bits. I just hate that phrase. I hate the phrase picky bits. And they also tend to do that little thing with their fingers where they just sort of waggle them. Oh, we'll get some picky bits. No, stop saying that. I hate that. Or brown food. Oh, we'll get some brown food. What? What? No, I don't like it. So basically, phrases, mate, that people use that just wind you up.
0: Who says picky bits or brown food?
1: People that are listening, probably.
0: I have to admit, and I'm being totally honest, I've never heard anyone say picky bits or brown food. What is brown food? <laughs>
1: it's stuff that... <laughs> brown food is things like, you know, like... You, whole you get it...
0: grain, whole grain no, rice. No, not
1: whole grain, bad what? things for you, like spring rolls, sausage rolls, things that you get from Iceland, the supermarket, and just put in and the people oven. people
0: call them brown food? Yeah, brown food never heard of it do you know what winds me up when people start using the roadmap for everything since Boris Johnson said we're going to have a road map out of the <laughs> lockdowns everyone I hear footballers talk about it they're talking about oh well so-and-so needs a roadmap map out of this situation I'm like what are you talking of no one <laughs> ever used that word before roadmap
1: adventure So here we go then with your penultimate clue in the further adventures of a cornflake this evening. Now this landmark attracts over 10 million visitors a year and is by far the most popular tourist destination in the country that it sits in. What landmark is a cornflake looking at tonight?
2: You're listening to the Overboard Podcast with Uncle David and my Daddy.
0: It's now time for Etymology Corner. This week, Benjamin, acid test. Now acid test means an absolute, demanding, or ultimate challenge, or measure of quality or capability. Deriving from very old times, in fact several hundreds of years ago, when nitric acid was used to determine the purity or presence of gold, especially when gold was currency before coinage. Gold does not dissolve in nitric acid Whereas less costly silver and base metals do. So there you go, the acid test, Ben. Excellent.
1: You are listening to the Overboard Podcast with David and Ben. The Further Adventures of Acornflake. So, your final clue this evening, then, in the Further Adventures of Acornflake is simply this. This landmark is one of the seven ancient wonders of the world and runs for over 13,000 miles. David, I ask you, what landmark is Cornflake stood in front of this
0: evening? I have no idea this week, Ben. Let's find out next week.
1: It's now time, of course, David, for one of our favourite parts of the show. It's time to introduce Mr Darren Collins, and he is, of course, the ramblings of a robust, delicate, middle-aged flower.
0: Robust, but delicate, middle-aged.
3: Hello, overboarders. It's Darren again here. Nice to see you, or hear you. I can't even hear you, can I? That's the most ridiculous opening ever. See, this is what happens. By the end of the day, you get very tired, especially in lockdown. And I was thinking about this, you know, shenanigans, having a bit of fun with someone after lockdown. Oh God, it just fills me with dread, to be honest. People call it getting down and dirty. See, that's where I've got a problem. Even getting down these days is tough. (sighs) You know, if I got down, I won't be able to get up, and that's no fun either. These days, I need the gardener's knee pad and possibly a stick to help hoist myself back up onto the bed. I don't know what's happened in lockdown, but I've turned into a bit of a jelly or lardy. (sighs) So if anyone wanted shenanigans and anything that side of life, I don't think I could manage it. I think something's clicked in my brain and it's like, no, I've just put clean sheets on the bed, go away. Or if they did fancy some naughtiness. Oh, God, just thought of it. You see, it'd have to happen in the afternoon and I wouldn't want to talk. I don't want conversation with anybody. I don't really know that well. (sighs) Ah. And if it did happen, I'd want them out by five o'clock so I could have my tea and put my feet up and watch my telly. Where did this vibrant person go? Oh, where was the person gone that used to be shining with sexual allure? Now it's all just dampness and dreariness. I guess that's what happens in lockdown. Oh,
1: God.
0: Benjamin, I did an interview this week, as you know, with Bethany. What would you say about this situation that she's in? She's a debut novelist. She's released a book called The Last One at the Party. And what's the reaction in Britain?
1: It's been really well received, Dave. Yeah, very, very proud of her. Um, obviously it's been a difficult launch because everything is still closed Bethany would normally be out and she would be doing the circuit And signing books in major bookstores and stuff like this And be able to do a lot more interviews and things like that Considering it's been almost like a soft launch, if you like The, the reaction to the book has been a- unbelievable
0: So it's been published by Hodder and Stalson And it's available in bookshops, you can buy it on Amazon You can get it on your Kindle as well It's a great novel, very, very unique How would you describe it, Ben?
1: A woman's fight for survival as the last woman on the planet. It's just a great read from start to finish, Dave. It's got everything in it. It's got great humour. It's got gore. It's got emotional moments. It's got intrigue. It's got twists and turns. It's got everything you want from a novel, and it's got a fantastic,
0: strong female lead as well. It's being made by Ridley Scott's company. But let's find out. I spoke to Bethany earlier this week shall we start then?
2: Let's do it!
0: (laughs) Let's do it then, okay, the graduate of the Northern Film School, producer of low-budget British horror film Heretic, director of your own production company Sabre Productions. Now you are the author of uh, your debut novel, Last One at the Party, and we're delighted that you can join us uh, this week. Thank uh, you! (laughs) Bethany, how are you first of all?
2: I'm all right, thanks. Um, we have just obviously had, it's been very windy here. I don't know how it is where you are, but we it's been the bank holiday weekend and yesterday it was very windy and very rainy, so welcome to the UK on a bank holiday.
0: <laughs> okay, well we've got a little bit of sunshine out here now, but it is still windy. Don't so show I'm, off, <laughs> come on. I'm hoping the summer's going to start at some point this year. <laughs> yeah. When did your love of writing begin?
2: Gosh, I think long before there was a love of writing, there was a love of reading. I, I've always been a voracious reader. And I can remember when I was very young, having that thing where your mum says, you know, lights out, you've got to go to bed now. And I can remember opening my curtains and reading by the streetlight outside. I, I loved to read. Um, and I think it's natural, I think, from from that point, you want to kind of create your own world. So you read about other people's amazing worlds. And you think I'd like to create my own. I've written from a very young age. I've always written throughout my life since I was at university. And obviously it's only been within the last couple of years that that I've managed to do it professionally. Like I remember traveling and sitting in San Francisco and I had like an A4 notepad and I wrote a novel longhand during that year while I was traveling. It's just something that I don't think I've ever not been able to do and then I think I've probably just been doing it so long <laughs> that mm. maybe I got a bit better at it. <laughs> so,
0: so last one at the party, your debut novel. Are you surprised with the, re- the reception that it's got?
2: Um, I'm delighted <laughs> with the reception that it's got. I'm always very careful to say it's a novel with a pandemic in it. It's not like the movie Contagion. It's not about the pandemic. Um, mm. The pandemic and... The destruction that it causes is over within about the first 30 pages of the novel. Readers are thinking that they're going to get something that's going to dissect a worldwide pandemic and how we react and cope. They're not. It's a novel where there's a pandemic at the very beginning. And then what that does is removes everybody else. And then the rest of the novel is obviously about a woman and how she lives after that has happened and why she lives after that has happened. And so for a lot of people, I feel now may not be the right time for them to read it or now may not be the time when they want to read it. Um, And I've had quite a few people say, oh, you know, I'm going to read it when I'm feeling a little bit better about our current situation. But on the reverse, I've had a lot of people say it's just been the perfect time to read it. It's been incredibly cathartic. It's been incredibly helpful. It's really helped my mental health. It's, you know, it's been something that's given me hope. In, in what has been for all of us quite a dark period, I think.
0: It's a very difficult, difficult uh, novel to describe. Because <laughs> I, I, I remember before I read it, I had these ideas, you know, I had those, those thoughts that you just described mm. about, do I want to be reading this at the moment? But as soon as, uh, you know, as soon as you get a few pages into into it, you're gripped. And it is so removed from what's happening at the moment it's it's brilliant yes. it's, it's great it, it's, it's really it really takes you out of yourself Thank where did you. the initial, the initial idea come from
2: I've always loved dystopian fiction I've always loved apocalypse fiction I've always loved fiction about the end of the world and survival after the end of the world I had in my mind a novel that I wanted to read and no one had had actually written it yet so I think the mm-hmm. kind of I think for a while I was thinking I want to read this novel I should write this novel. And then something occurred a couple of years ago. I was driving home. I'd been at a conference and I'd come home and it was late and I was coming through the Oxfordshire countryside and basically I was lost and I had no signal on my phone. I had like a terrible brick phone at the time that just did hardly anything. Um, And I pulled over to kind of like at the side of the road to kind of try and work out where I was. And I got out of my car and it was the middle of winter and it was freezing cold and I couldn't see any evidence of another human anywhere. It was just me and the stars and some cows chewing grass very noisily in the field next door. And for a moment, I was like, oh, my God, this is a nightmare. And then I had a brief kind of, oh, actually, is it a nightmare? I'm all alone. And it's kind of beautiful and peaceful and Is it really that bad? The very next day, I kind of, I sat down and I was thinking, the one thing about all the novels or a lot of the apocalypse and dystopian novels that I read is that there's always other people and they always meet other people at some point. And even if your protagonist starts off alone, she or he always kind of comes across a group of survivors And, you know, it's whether or not the the kind of deputies will they get on? Are they nice people? Sometimes they're nice people. Sometimes they're cannibals. Sometimes they just, you know, steal from them. I was really keen that she, A, was not a survivalist or anybody who had any skills whatsoever or was going to save humanity or in any way make a difference in this terrible situation. I wanted her Mm. to be like you or like me or like someone around the corner who and what would they actually do if they found themselves in that situation? and B I I wanted her to be alone I wanted her to be her greatest protagonist and her greatest antagonist she is her own jeopardy throughout the throughout the entire novel she is her own jeopardy she does many many things wrong as I have been told by many many people in many many reviews
0: That's the beauty of the story is that, like I said, you, you can't describe it. You don't really know what's coming next. It's not typical novel where it's, um, you know, there's a scare and you're constantly on edge because there are sections where it's really peaceful and, and you're getting used to one part and then, and and the things that she does, again, without giving it away. <laughs> These the things that you would do, wouldn't you? Well, you'd get a little bit bored, and you'd start doing the things that she did for a while. I'll oh, bugger this. I'm going to do this for a bit. No one's here anyway. It's really unique because it's it's uh, one of the reviews said brilliant, creepy, witty, laugh out loud, and shudder inducing. Because it's all it's all of those things. And and you must have developed the plot at the different stages. Then again, without giving too much away, how did you work out <laughs> twists and turns?
2: So it's a diary. There's no, that's not a spoiler. It's a diary that she writes. And I feel like on her journey, her physical and her emotional journey, there is a point where she reaches, which is at the end of the novel, where everything for her changes, just fundamentally changes. Mm. And it feels like that is the point at which she would stop writing this diary, even if it were only for a little while. I feel that physically and emotionally, she doesn't need, she can't, she could probably wouldn't want to, and she doesn't need to write it in the same way anymore. I do feel about the novel that this is, this is a love letter or an explanation of her past life and of who she was. She's almost trying to kind of explain to herself who she was and how she ended up being the person that she became that was so far removed from the person that she always probably hoped that she would be. By the end of the novel, she is as close to the person that she would hope that she would be it all quite flowed quite naturally. It felt like these were the things, as you said, you know, when you sat down and you thought, if if I were, if I thought I were the last person alive, what would I do and where would I go and what would be my priorities? If you actually sat down and thought about the emotional turmoil and also the, the kind of the sheer terror and sadness of feeling that you are the last person there, then I think uh, everything that she does for me is is quite understandable. It all it just all stems from the idea of this character and how would she react, given that she is probably the most unsuitable person in the entire world to be the last person alive in right. the end of the world.
0: I don't know about the most unsuitable. <laughs> <laughs> I recognise a, a lot of myself in her, so let's not say that. Um, like you say, not only is there a story, but there is this self-analytical sort of diary going on as well. and And the book deals with a number of issues surrounding mental health and And well being. Did you did you set out to deal with these from the start, or was it something that developed naturally as the story progressed?
2: I think it happened naturally as the story progressed because obviously explains how she gets to the point where she is. The flashbacks obviously explain how she became how she is on page one. But I think I wanted to kind of be very honest about my experience. Obviously, she's a woman, but I don't think this is gender specific. I think, you know, there is such incredible pressure on everyone these days to kind of have this life that we all feel is going to be the kind of you know the perfect life the instagrammable life the life that is what our parents want but also what our friends want and we're all on the treadmill and not only we're we on the treadmill but we're recording the treadmill now which is kind of the scary thing so if if you don't put it on instagram or it's not instagram worthy did you actually do it and was it worth having done it? and that's the kind of you know i feel like that's just such a massively added pressure i really wanted to kind of explore this idea of how how that is so much pressure and how that can be so much pressure on on one person so i wanted to do it quite honestly i think as well i think you know i think people shy away sometimes from kind of this, this depiction of mental health which is that It doesn't have to be because you've got a really shitty life. You can have quite an ordinary life and a very privileged life and have parents absolutely love you. But it doesn't mean at some point you're not going to suffer from panic attacks and you're not going to wake up one morning and think think that you don't want to get out of bed. There is nothing that says that because your life is better than my life, I am more entitled to feel this way than you are. It can happen and does happen to
0: anyone. Absolutely. Reading the book, one minute you would find yourself laughing, very humorous parts. And the next, you know, the next page or the next few pages, you would find yourself being a little bit grossed out, you know, sort of like (laughs) feeling sick. Um, How did you manage to balance the the gore and the dark humour?
2: well, one of the reasons why there's humour in there is because there's only so much misery that one can take. I wanted the book to be about hope. It's about a physical and emotional and mental journey of healing. And one of the things that when people ask me, what do I want people to take away from the book? I always say it's, I want them to take away that as long as we have life, we have hope. She is someone who is going to have those moments of humour at the worst times and I think that's um, quite uniquely British. I think she is, uh, I feel she's very, very British. This is all absolutely shit. But, you know, and then comes in the irony and then comes in kind of the way that we we as a nation can kind of laugh at ourselves at the worst possible times. So I feel if if I'd written a different character, if I'd written a scientist or a survivalist or... Or someone who wasn't, you know, gonna be acting the same kind of like, what the hell is going on <laughs> way as you and I might,
0: mm. then
2: it would have been a very different book and it might have been a
0: darker book. It's great because she's not like a you know, a typical hero. She doesn't know what she's doing, she doesn't know what to do, she has to find the things out. A lot of black humour, a lot of sarcasm, it's really good wanting her to, to do all these things and wondering what she's going to do next. So it it, mm. it it really does keep you gripped. When I was reading it, I could see it as a film. You know, I could see this being a film. Yes. And it's so vivid. Is there plans that it may go to film?
2: Uh, yes. I have sold the television rights to Scott Free Films, so to uh, Ridley Scott's company.
0: Is just it, a small note then, just a small yeah, note. Yeah,
2: you know. So it's in but development t- at the moment, which is really exciting um, de-
0: what what does in development mean
2: i can't talk too much because obviously the industry is quite secretive about where it is because obviously yeah it's quite it's quite secretive but i can say it's in active development which means that people are working on it so, mm. you know, it's very exciting because obviously wow. you know this is you never know and how people are going to take it and stuff. But, but Spot Free have just been absolutely amazing and just just love it as much as I do. And, and the kind of, you know, the people that are working on it, you always worry, obviously, that someone else is going to take it and be, right, I love it, but I think maybe we should make her a gun expert. What do you think? What do you think about that? Yeah, like, yeah. You
0: know. They won't change it then. They won't change it, now.
2: Well, from what I've seen so far, they just – Absolutely, one hundred percent get it. I don't
0: want to lose that raw, earthy character that she. No, is, you know, absolutely, and her.
2: and yeah, and they they very much have not. So it's just really exciting to to see people. Of you know, take what you've written and you know, without kind of like putting myself down, but just make it even better. Well,
0: you can come back and tell us about it, of course. Oh, can. god, of course, 100%. With all this, um, exciting developments, then does that maybe put more pressure on you as, as an author now? Then maybe the pressure to write the the, the next great book. I mean, how how would you say your writing day plays out? <laughs> I, I wouldn't know what a what an author does.
2: That's a really interesting question. Every time I get a good review, I think, yeah, I can't do it again though. Don't like, don't, don't think it's gonna happen. I'm very thankful that I have now done the first draft of my second book.
0: You know, they say that you know um, musicians, and they always say that it's that difficult second album syndrome. Is is it the same with writing?
2: Yes, and no, yes, because I think the pressure is i've not I've not had this sort of pressure before. I've never written anything with any kind of expectations on me, and I'm quite prolific, and I am good at just sitting down and bang it out. Frank Cottrell Bryce says that you just have to slap it down, and he's right, you know your first draft, especially because you can't edit a blank page. I am finally now finding my kind of rhythm of, you know, get up, have breakfast, take the kids to school, school, come home, write for kind of four or five hours, go and pick the kids up, and and it's amazing. It's incredible that this is now what I do for a living rather than something that I fit around the rest of my life.
0: Well, I just want to gauge some of the response that you've personally had for the book. I mean, I've got a few media reviews here. Full of wit, heartbreak and humour, Last of the Party is a staggeringly original debut about the end of the world as we never imagined it. And this one I like. It's about who you are with nobody to witness you, what it means to be human and how to live. I like that one. I've read lots of reviews from other authors who have been uh, gushing with their with their comments. What, what's What's the best comments you've had?
2: I've had some private messages from people that have just been that have that have made me cry because mm. it seems so insane that anything that I have written could actually have that much of an impact on someone but I have had people who have said especially because of the way the the situation that we found ourselves in in the last year I have had people who have said it's given them the courage to kind of step outside the front door for the first time in a long while the media accolades and everything like that are amazing and I am totally open to any more but like in the book i suppose it's those quiet little personal moments that you never think about until they happen that are the things which just absolutely touch you and that change your life the idea that there's a copy of my book in the british library that i have an isbn number and there's a copy of my book in the british library that's just insane and <laughs> and the fact that for some people my book is their book of the year or a book that will stay with them forever in the same way that like you know I've got I've got my favorite book I might be someone's favorite ever book I mean that's just just blows my mind just blows my mind
0: so those people that that it's their favorite book of all time they're going to be (laughs) wanting to know what's next so what is next
2: (laughs) so I have a second book coming out uh with Hodder, it's a romance this time it's a romance and it's got a uh, quantum computing in it because of course what romance isn't complete without quantum computing i ask you <laughs> so that will be out sometime next year i also have a film called the bride that i am just polishing up at the moment to uh submit that is a 1980s horror comedy about a group of women on a hen night so that's very exciting i hope to start my third novel towards the kind of end of the summer uh, autumn this year um and that is a it's a YA crossover novel about a um private boarding school and an alien invasion then obviously the one thing that everybody always asks is what about a sequel and um yeah of course i'm incredibly hopeful that i will write the sequels i will begin that probably at the beginning of next year so hopefully fingers crossed if if all goes well then yes i will i will write a sequel
0: i heard that there wouldn't be a sequel i wonder who told me that but
2: oh interesting well i can't I can't say too much about it because obviously I'm wrapped up in contracts and TV deals, et etc. et cetera. But of course I know what happens next. <laughs> of course I do. And I'm not allowed to tell anyone. So I will not say what happens next but I know what
0: happens next there you Listen, go <laughs> that's, that, that's fantastic and, and thank you so much for, for giving us some of your time today oh
2: thank you it's been and absolutely lovely
0: best of luck with, uh, with the film and the TV rights and the new, the new <laughs> and, the new and everything and, else that's going on and everything <laughs> and we'll, we'll have to we'll have to maybe towards the end of the summer speak to you again or something And oh
2: that'd be lovely yeah
0: Bethany thank you very much for your time today thank you Y'all listening to the Overboard Podcast with David and Ben. They talk funny, and they are funny. Alright, well we'd like to thank our contributors this week, of course Bethany Clift and of course Darren Collins and the Overboard team uh, If you're enjoying the shows, please subscribe through your listening platform, this way it will download ready for you Available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts Spotify, Breaker, Castbox, Overcast Cast, Radio Public, Anchor and many more. How can we get people to share the podcast? I mean, we have regular a nice core of regular listeners, but we want them to tell people about it. How do they do it?
1: Well basically what they need to do, they need to go on to to our facebook page and basically share our facebook page but not just share it put a message on it as well saying please guys take a listen to this and share this podcast
0: contact us as well let us know what you think suggest items to cover people to interview questions to ask on polls our website over hyphen board.com board b-o-r-e-d on facebook at overboard podcast or one word board spelled b-o-r-e-d and on twitter at overboard five board spelled b-o-r-e-d